This is Women Behind Wool, a podcast introducing you to the female face of the Australian wool industry. Today's guest was actually a suggestion from a listener, which we totally love. If anybody listening has any suggestions of people they would like to hear from on the podcast or in the series, we have a very... We have a short list that's growing very quickly of women to speak with in the future, so we would love to hear from you. But today's guest, her name is Anne Cooper, and she was the first female wool classer to work in the Australian sheds. Yeah, the thing I love about Anne's story is that she is such a trailblazer, and I know that's a word that gets thrown around a bit, but she really has... Um, forged the path for the last 30 years of, of women coming after her to work in the shearing sheds, either as wool classes, shearers, rouseabouts, etc. Um, yet you'd expect a woman like that must be this sort of fierce, bold, possibly a bit aggressive kind of a woman, and she's not. She's beautifully well-spoken and... Um, you know, the, she she was never trying to do anything that was particularly controversial. She just really loved working in the sheds and, and loved being part of the wool industry and just quietly forged her own path. And that in turn has, has allowed others to do so after her. Can we just take a second to actually imagine what it would have been like for Anne Cooper working in the wool sheds in her time she said to me that when she started working in the sheds that there were union meetings about having a female in in the sheds. She must have really, really been put through the ringer in order to get her stripes. But she made her way through and she did find men amongst all the other men that really took her under her wing and believed in her and supported her cause. And she was obviously excellent at her job as well. But we know from our childhood days having been in the sheep sheds how intimidating it could be can you imagine what it would have been like for her I know that's what I keep thinking it would be so intimidating as a young woman in a very male dominated environment and yet like I said she just sort of quietly kept on with what she was doing without fanfare or trying to incite any controversy controversy and and that in turn has then made it so much easier for the next generation to follow. It's really a lovely story. My name is Anne Cooper. Um, I now live in uh, Mango Hill. We used to live in the outback. I was born and raised in the bush and was a wool classer. But now we serve um, in a Christian mission. I grew up around wool, Dad. We had um, merino sheep. And uh, Dad was the wool classes, so as kids we were even interested because Dad would show us what, the, um, what it all meant and how important it was to look after your sheep so that you had the, uh, the wool clip, which was the income really from the sheep um, each year. So I grew up around the wool shed, um, I, th- I would say. I think it's most one of the, if not the most amazing fibre, that um, natural fibre that we have. It's for its versatility because you, it's just amazing what you can do with wool. And it's also a creator of wealth um, if it's managed properly. And um, 
so and I've seen that in the outback and not so much now but in in the years that I was wool classing um, it's very much a creator of wealth of wealth if it's well managed if the sheep are well managed so we came across you Anne uh, by way of your sister, actually, who said, I think you might be interested in my sister's story because she is one of the first, if not the first female wool classer to have worked in sheds in Australia. <laughs> is that correct, that you, you're the first female wool classer? I believe I'm the first professional wool classer. I think many women, um, wives and women across Australia, were um, owner classes. Um, I know my great aunt, class their clip um, near Warwick until she was in her 90s, you know. Um, but I believe that, yeah, but I, I do believe that when I gained my professional wool classing ticket, which was quite a process, uh, my um, lecturers, I suppose, told me that they thought that I was probably the first professional wool classer, certainly on the eastern seaboard of Australia. So how did it come to be? How did you end up going professional? Yes, probably, probably more about getting out of school in, in, at the beginning because I could go to TAFE um, to do sheep husbandry and wool science, which, which was far up, more up my alley than some other science or um, indeed maths. So I did sheep husbandry and wool science um, from TAFE in Armadale and over two years and then um, chose to, they opened the um, Longreach Pastoral College to women just as dad and mum had bought property out um, between Longreach and Winton. And so I pleaded then that, that not to do senior, but to go. And mum and dad said, that's fine as long as you go on to formal training. And I said, well, um, if I could get into Longreach Pastoral College, that would be perfect for me. And so I did. And so I then, it was a, it's a two, it was a two-year course then. And um, the second year you did, you, you did more sort of majoring in things that you um, probably thought were more relevant, I, I believe. And I did a lot of the um, the wool, sheep and wool stream on, in that second year. So I'd actually done, incidentally, I guess, um, the full course over the whole time and probably more training than a lot of professional wool classes do to actually get their professional ticket. Is that a plover that I can hear in the background? <laughs> it is a very loud one. <laughs> They have, okay. have a big family of them. It's <laughs> ah, having a fabulous time. I um, just thought I'd reference it because people could probably hear it. And I, I immediately thought, that's got to be a plover. But then it kept going and going. I was wondering what's going on. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> uh, um, and I suppose just for, you know, the, part of Women Behind Wool, this initiative is to educate so very simply, what is wool classing? So it's really looking at the, the, the fibre, the whole fleece, because the whole fleece can be very different. And, again, it depends on how it's been, how the sheep have been managed through the year, um, what the vegetation is, what um, the climate is. In, so it can be broken. The broken, of course, then means if there's a break in the wool, it's, um, it's less um, saleable. So really... There's a lot of variants. Colour is a variant. Vegetation is, an air, is a variant. Um, you skirt off the outsides of the fleece to make it to make a premium part um, for your higher um, classing uh, 
So the highest is a 3A. So the length, you go ideally on the length, um, a nice bright colour and the fibre diameter. So all those little crinkles in the wool is the diameter in, and it's measured in microns. So you would say um, you would, over time, of course, your eye, you can do it quite quickly. But so you would um, class them mostly towards the fibre diameter. So the finer the diameter, um, the more highly saleable it is, generally speaking. And so you're the person in the shed that oversees that and puts the wool in their separate bins. Tell me, just paint a picture for me as to how it works in the shed. Okay, so the sheep come in, um, the shearer shears the sheep, the wool, the um, rouseabouts. Uh, pick up and they're taught to pick up in a particular way so they have to pick up the the fleece once it's been shorn very quickly and um, then they throw it onto a wool classing or wool rolling table so as they throw it on it it's um, the good side down so it has to land with the weathered side up so then ideally then the wool rollers, and mostly that would be me on one side and a wool roller on the other, you quickly skirt, you skirt out um, dags, grease, um, skin cuts, um, maybe burr or in the West there was often a dusty back. I would pull out dusty backs because it was very open and a lot of dust. I'd pull that out because that would degrade the value of, of the fleece as well. And then we would quickly roll it. And as you're doing that, the locks or the little second cuts would fall underneath the table. And then you would roll it up. And um, depending on how many shearers, you would have another table, which if I was getting behind, I'd just put them over there. To, or, or if I, it was a quick class, I'd say, yep, that's fine. That definitely goes in that bin. So I would have like a 3A bin, which is my top class, a 2A bin, which was a very good class, but maybe not as long maybe a bit shorter, and then I would have a colour class, a 3B class, which is a class that's um, the, the micron fibres a lot um, coarser, and then I would have all my incidental, um, depending on the mob, um, I might have a quick look at the mob and look at, you know, what the season's been like. So you would, you would, I would actually put bins towards how I would think they would come in. So, again, I must have dusty backs. Well, if that that they might just they would go into a class of their own as well, so that's sort of the basic classing of it. And and also, of course, there is it does go up to to four A um, in the grading, but that is for that's for super fine wool and probably where you were in Western Queensland, there wasn't much super fine wool around, but there is in other areas of Australia. And I'm interested. To know, though, just to step back to your childhood again, I mean, did you ever, what did you aspire to be when you were a child? Like, did you ever think wool classing was the thing for you? I suppose you thought you would be a farmer. I did. I loved everything about the land. Um, so, no, my life was with horses. I did a lot of work um, with horses. I did a lot of training with horses, even at college. I took the, the um, I did, and when I left college, I, followed a certain style of horse breaking and training, um, which I loved. And so my first job actually post-college was on a quarter horse stud. And, um, yeah, I just loved being around horses. Um, um, we, had, we bred horses ourselves. 
And um, so that was that's how I saw my life. I actually probably fell more into um, wool classing because when we went out west, uh, where the, it was sheep country, so we had a lot of sheep. Dad, you know, Dad and Mum had probably up to thirty thousand sheep in a good season. So we our shearing was a long time, and um, and I think probably it started with me classing um, Mum and Dad's clip one year, I think in 81, um, and then getting offered, because you could, it was, I could have done it just as an owner classer. Uh, and then it sort of went from there as I got offered work and realised that actually, well, it was good pay, it was better pay than <laughs> Jill Rui. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yes, and <laughs> um, uh, it was inter- it was interesting. It took me places. So that was yeah. So I think I probably incidentally fell into it, but I did love it. I did. I liked every aspect of the bush and working with stock and all that sort of thing. What did you love about the wool classing at that stage? I loved the feel of the wool and the and the fact that um, de- I learned very quickly that it did very much depend on the management and climate as to how how the wool reacted on the sheep's back. And um, I loved all of that. I even did some sheep judging because I just loved the whole entirety of, of how wool is grown and that and of the sheep management as well. So um, I, I did, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I really sort of, you know, how you sometimes go off on a tangent when you start something and then all of a sudden you found, find another stream. It was a bit like that. But it wasn't without its challenges for you, of course. So you were the first of your kind in Australia and you were a female in a heavily male-dominated industry. You went through yes. Longreach College, of which you were some of the first female intakes there. But once you got your qualification, um, what did you do and how did you how did you work that out? Well, that was interesting. I, I... I'm pretty sure the contractor was the one that that probably validated that um, I was worthy to be his class, a sort of thing in a contract. So, but that created a huge ruckus because they were years when the union were very strong. Um, we had our wool classing association, which I joined quite quickly because I was being um, seriously encouraged to join the union, which I wasn't going, didn't want to do. Um, but then they would have union meetings about me because, one, I was a girl and girls were only seen to be delivering the morning tea and afternoon tea. They weren't there to be or pushing the sheep up on a, as a jillaroo or something, not actually um, not only working in the shed but actually having to manage the shed because the wool classer runs the shed because everything that happens in the um, process of shearing a sheep and how the wool is handled reflects on your license so you are the manager of the of the shed of the shed so that there was a lot of pushback with that initially with the men which I understand when you're breaking new ground it's painful for everybody but what was your approach to that I mean how did you how did you write it out well I think we I um what rings in my ears most is that dad and mum very much encouraged us if new ground, new ground needed to be broken and you were up for the challenge, you go ahead and do it. And I must have 
knowing that, I think that gives you a lot of confidence when you know that your team behind you, your mum and dad, um, it, are really behind you in doing that. I think I felt confidence in doing it. I couldn't actually articulate to you why I pushed through that. I guess I really enjoyed it and I probably fairly strong-willed. So I thought, well, you know what, I've you know, worked with guys most of my life when in on the property, in the yards, in the cattle yards, in the sheep yards. We had always had workers. Um, so I was up for their taunts to a certain extent. Um, so I just thought, well, you know, and I guess my training ground was home. So because we had so many sheep, I had time to um, hone a few of my skills actually on my own property, or, you know, on mum and dad's property. So that that can give you confidence when you're actually working from a home base. The sheds can be really rough sometimes. Did you have to play it rough? Actually, I was extraordinarily respected and I really, um, I never actually really had to do it rough. I think, I think my contractor was very much um, on my side, um, but, you know, he's not, the whole, he's not the whole of the team either. I never, I never felt threatened or anything. Um, my, when I got married, the, the, my wedding present was a blue dog. So, you know, I would take my little blue dog everywhere with me. But properties that I went to, I was hosted usually at the homestead, I guess because quarters weren't set up, set up for girls anyway. So it was only for men. Um, but I never, I had some very funny experiences with the guys, but I never felt um, threatened by them. I said, I mean, they taunted me a bit in the shed, but it was all banter sort of thing. Yeah. Tell me about your funny experiences. Well, you know, <laughs> there was, there was a few of them. So one property I was on, and I guess in some ways it's probably not funny, but you know, you, you would be with the, with the um, property owners. So you kind of get to know them a little bit as well and they might know of you because especially I did a lot of work around the Winton area and I was there one morning and the old fellow went down to cut down the sheep for breakfast and cut two of his fingers off and um, just the whole you know the whole of what are we going to do about this and running to town and just all of the added things um, uh, the guys would would drink a bit, but you know, and I, I had a couple of fellows that I would travel with, and um, so you know that always kept me very much awake, especially on a Friday evening heading back <laughs> at a long way. Um, I would they um, would ask me to swim across if we were fishing or something. I'd be the one that not throw in, but say we can't swim. You're going to have to go over and do this and that. I'd do things like that. Um, Part of my training. Oh, yes. Yeah. Unhook lines. And I guess, yeah. We've got a snag. And I'll go and pull that out. (laughs) Little tests like that. Um, What's one time? Oh, in my training, we had to do a half week of shearing and crotching. That was sort of part of the training. And so when we'd get new shearers, especially young ones and things, they would all taunt him to, to, you know, put your money in sort of thing and see if the class will challenge you to, oh, you know, she wouldn't be able to shear a sheep. And so, you know, they'd rev it up for half the week and, you know, that would be a bit of fun and then we'd have a shearing competition. So, and yeah, there win? was, uh, I wouldn't always win, but I think they were fairly shocked that I could actually shear. <laughs> yeah, so good. Good on you. 
go the girls. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So yeah. it sounds to me like a little bit unexpected um, in, in what I, I was thinking that you were going to say in that you were re- you really were breaking new ground but you didn't have to put up with with that much. I mean, I'm sure there were so many grumpy farmers, weren't there, about the fact that there was a woman in the shed? Oh, yeah, they were probably more upset about it than the shearers at the end of the day. Um, I think fairly quickly in a shearing team, you build a bit of a camaraderie and um, they actually became my advocates. Whenever I go back to Longreach now and catch up, incidentally, with any of those guys, they go, remember the good days, remember when we went there or here. And, and you know, I just, that, I just respect that and love that so much. Yes, the Grey's years were my biggest pushback. And I think actually it went for me in the end because they all would put, they would all ring and ask for reports on my clips, which it sort of didn't worry me, but they were very unsure of a woman classing their, what, well, what is and was their largest income for the year. So, yeah, and, you know, I, I sort of get that. Um, probably but a didn't report get it. It's unheard of, isn't it? It, it? it was very much unheard. It was very unusual. Um, and so it went for me in the end because there were so many reports on my clips that I progressed to my professional two ticket very quickly because they did a lot of, a lot of reports, which was extremely unusual. I actually followed some of my clips down to the wool store, which was in Brisbane still at the time, and um, watched them be core tested and sampled and things be, just to, I guess, be confident myself that I was on the right track. I talked to a lot of the wool guys down in Brisbane. I went to some of the auctions to see what the process was and how, you know, and, and what how wool is graded and how the impact that that has. So I sort of really did get into it for quite some years after I decided on that. So, yeah, but, it, yeah, there was a lot of pushback in the industry on, on property. And slowly, bit by bit, did you begin to win over these graziers? Yes, I did. I did, which was lovely. It was a lovely change. And what do you put yeah. that down to? Um, I think to just prove that we, we can do it. We can do it just as well, if not better than the boys. And actually some of the graziers conceded later on that they felt the shed was better run and that it, there was... Um, a cleanliness to it there it was more there was um, they even some of them even said they felt there was a harmony there perhaps I don't know in the dynamic of having a different person completely running the shed after they'd done all the you know the haranguing and testing if you know that, that's there was sort of they, I, there was really, there's some really good things. And, of course, there's a lot of women in the shed now, which is fantastic. You know, you see any competitions and things, you often see women either classing and rolling and doing. I mean, I had a mate from college who, when I was asked to go south to be based at Swan Hill, she came with me. So she was my wool roller, which was really great. That was, I don't know that I would have gone by myself down into that country. That was a whole nother level of severity as far as, Grazy years ago, out on the Mildura Plains, hard country. Um, yeah, and you but, didn't have your support of your family network. No, that's right. That's right. And I was quite young. So having her along, we had great adventures. So how long was it, Anne, until you started to see more women eking their way into your territory? Or not into your territory, but into the woolsheds like you had? 
Hmm. Probably only a few years because I think because I was local and I did I worked with contractors in Longreach and Winton. Um, I think then probably out of need to need need for supply of um, staff. You know there was girls that started coming and even a couple of college girls joined in um, wool rolling and rouseabouting and that sort of thing. Um, so it wasn't too long really before. Um, there was more girls. I, I don't remember any other wool classing women, um, but I do do remember other girls joining the teams and things. Yeah. So you don't wool class anymore. When did you stop? What made you stop? Well, the biggest factor was having children. So um, in 1988, when we had our first child, it really I couldn't. It's too hectic in the. It's a hectic eight-hour day in the shed. You just physically can't do that whether when you're expecting. You you could do it afterwards, and I did do it. I did have a um, a nanny for a little while when we lived in the bush, um, and I would do neighbouring properties, but it became very impractical. So she obviously had to be a live-in on the property, and um, you know, kind of five days a week really didn't see the girls. So I just thought, mm, I just it's really not it is a it is a single person's job unless everybody goes along and um so I really by default had to give it up and so how many sheds do you think you classed in across and is is western Queensland the correct way to frame it is that what I say I think so I mean I did no I was just I did out to Bullia I classed out near Bullia on a big property um so mostly then, and then I went down to the Mildura Plains for a while. So, oh, goodness, that's a question. I don't know, maybe 30 or 40, yeah, over some years. I mean, you know, if you're either contract, that's each year you go back to the same place sort of thing. But, yeah. We're talking big operations, aren't we? How many days did you shear for and how many head of sheep were put through those sheds? That's right. So, so it, you know, it was all very different, of course. So, you know, um, out at, out towards Bullier, I, oh, I think there was about 40,000 sheep, you know. So we were there for, there was 10 shearers and we were there for two months. So that it was, that's a big shed, you know. Um, so, yeah, and then mum and dad's, that was six to eight shearers and that was six weeks usually. So... Yeah, different, um, and some she- some sheds were just a couple of weeks, but you know, my, a lot of them were up to a month. Yeah, amazing. Do you miss it? Yeah, I do. I do now. I'm talking with you about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I do. I mean, you know, and we're, the last place we would have seen ourselves, we're both very bush people, is to be living in suburbia. But um, if we have had a very rich life doing this work as well. Um, but yes, we, we still have our home in Longreach, so we gravitate back out there. We have some family still there and very good friends, so we gravitate back to Longreach when we can. Um, but yes, always miss that life. What do you miss about it when you think about how much you miss? What images come to your mind? I'm, I miss managing stock. I miss being around stock. I miss being um, like I was just looking at photos recently um, just this last week actually of the Longreach show and I thought yeah I, I used to love looking 
doing that judging or looking, watching the judging of the sheep and the wool. Um, they had the sheep show, state sheep show out there again, um, merino sheep show. And so just that whole immersion of, of life with um, sheep and wool and, and cattle, but more sheep and wool probably, and horses. You know, I, I just miss that bush life and those big skies and being out in the bush. Sunrise <laughs> you know, and sunset. Yes, I think what confronts me a lot out west now is that if they haven't gone into cattle, they've gone into dorpers. So there's less and less merino sheep out there, and yet it's such fabulous um, sheep country. When you uh, observe and learn and hear and see in the newspaper about the wool sheds these days, what are your observations about females in that sector? I think it's fabulous. I think it's great. Um, I think, you know, it's if that's how you, if that's what you're called to do, and if that's what your passion is, I think it's wonderful that there's more opportunity to to go and do that, and to do it more openly, and to actually be validated in that. Oh, it's all so interesting. Well, Anne, it's been a treat to meet you and to speak with you. Thanks so much for telling us all about your story as to how you became a wool classer and some of the experiences you had. Thank you, Sky. It's a privilege to be able to be asked. So it's been lovely reminiscing about, about my journey. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Women Behind Wool podcast. If you like what we're doing here, please help us to spread the love for wool. You can share this episode on your Instagram stories. And if you subscribe to iTunes, a fresh episode will be waiting for you each Monday morning. Our website is womenbehindwool.com.au. Stay warm and rugged up in your wool and we'll be back with you next week.